Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You are invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of John, chapter 6, verses 53 through 68. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. Many of his disciples said, This is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining, so he said to them, Does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe me. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him. Then he said, That is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When traveling through Israel as the landscape of the Holy Land becomes vivid in my mind, it's easier to picture Jesus in those various ministry settings where he walked. You can visualize him teaching, healing the sick, speaking to the outcast, casting out demons, rebuking religious elites, and dying on the cross. And it's easy to imagine myself as part of the crowd of onlookers, just fascinated by this Jesus person. And I know I would have loved seeing him heal the sick. I would have probably been quietly amused at Jesus rebuking the professionally religious, thinking that their hypocrisy deserves it, not mine. I probably would have stuck around for the times when Jesus fed people. And I probably would have given his teaching a listen to take it into consideration. Why not? But what I have really put so much on the line to follow this man who made bold claims about who he was, would I have gotten past the mystery, the difficulty, and the derision that came with standing for Jesus. I'm a pretty smooth-sailing type of guy. The waters around Jesus seem to get a little too choppy for me. I'd like to think that I would have been courageous, that if I had witnessed the wonders of Jesus firsthand, 
that I could be counted among those devoted followers who journeyed with Jesus to the face of death itself. I'm afraid I would have been too much of a coward, though, that maybe my uncertainty, my comforts, and my image would have been too important to me, too important that I would have chosen them over the adventure of following Christ and following not following, I certainly wouldn't have been alone. That road is wide. Now, people walk away from churches. I've seen it happen for a number of reasons. It can be something as traumatic as or egregious as abuse, allegations being swept under the rug with some victim blaming on top of that. It could be over matters as complex as the intersection of politics and faith, both uniquely polarizing in their own right. It could be over something as simple as personality. You find people in congregations who you just might not gel with. I'm not listing these things because they're all good reasons, but you and I have both seen these things, and it happens. Walking away from specific churches, it happens, and I lament that. I don't love it. But as long as churches contain people, and as long as we're still on this side of eternity, there's going to be some of that. I get it. But that's not what this is about. This is about those who experienced something many faithful since this time could only dream of. They were in the very physical presence of Jesus. And we can spiritualize that and recognize that, of course, we too are in the presence of Jesus. Yes, those firsthand witnesses didn't have the benefit of a whole global church to help them figure out who he is. They did have the Hebrew scriptures and the stories they'd heard about him and what they could experience with their own senses. All of that was substantial enough to start a global movement that's around 2,000-some years later. It's not the case for everyone, though. There were people who encountered perfect love, humanity and divinity perfectly enmeshed, and a universe-creating power veiled in the flesh. They were invited to experience more of who Jesus is and to follow more closely, to journey deeper into this voyage of loving and holiness, and they chose otherwise. We're going to look at why and how their act of walking away can help keep us walking with Jesus. And so let's set the stage a little bit. Our first lesson is Jesus' invitations to deeper grace become increasingly more challenging. Jesus' invitation to deeper grace becomes increasingly more challenging. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. And he said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. It was back on March 8th during Lent when we spent time with the Jesus I Am statements and looked from the perspective of Jesus being the bread of life, Jesus being our true satisfaction. And maybe you remember right before this story in Scripture, Jesus was healing the sick and huge crowds were seeking him out. And so they were with him for a while. They stuck around while he was teaching. They were hungry, and so Jesus borrowed a young boy's scant lunch and turned it into a feast that fed 5,000 men. That's not counting the women and children who were present. That's a lot of people. And the people who experienced this started thinking and saying, this is the prophet we've been looking for, which is partly right. But then they started trying to figure out how to make Jesus king by force. 
That's when Jesus slipped away, as he had been known to do from time to time. And so the crowd hunted him down to the other side of the Galilee the next morning, and Jesus confronted them. He said, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking eternal life from the Son of Man. That's when he proclaimed himself to be the bread of life, bread that came down from heaven. The crowd started murmuring, and that's how we find ourselves with Jesus saying what he said about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. So Jesus has this pattern that is somewhat consistent in the Gospels. He'll do something amazing, sometimes something like a miracle. The miracle impresses people, and it draws a crowd. The power is obvious, and folks are in awe. They figure out that this Jesus guy has something to do with God. And this is the wide invitation. There's no expectation, only a chance to experience the evidence and the power of God through Jesus. Some people are healed, some are fed, some are cleansed of afflicting spirits. It's an invitation open to all who would come. And then there's typically a story that happens shortly afterwards. It's the story of the thinning crowd. Jesus will offer a difficult teaching, like what we're digging into this week. Or maybe he'll invite someone to lay down a familiar idol, like we'll talk about next week. Jesus wants people to follow at that next level of faith and commitment, but it always comes with a challenge. Something has to be given up in order to continue along that journey. That's something we often miss in the transformational ministry of Jesus. Jesus invited, but it wasn't inviting for invitation's sake, nor was it inclusion for inclusion's sake. Jesus invited these folks to experience and embody a deeper love through a deeper commitment and maturity. People were looking for a free meal or a political champion, but Jesus was looking to redeem creation through lives radically transformed, restored, and reconciled. What some people view as Jesus' standard of exclusion was really just people drawing their own line. They would follow Jesus just this far, but no farther. That was the limit to their experience of a life-changing grace. Jesus did not set the limit on their journey. He offered an experience of a more challenging standard for those who wished to be remade in the divine image. He also never invited people to a standard he was not willing to offer for himself and embody himself. But there were times when the invitation was rejected. This is one of those times. That leads to our second lesson. Some people look perfect love directly in the face and reject him. Some people look perfect love directly in the face and reject him. Many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining, so he said to them, does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe me, for Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him. Then he said, That is why I said people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. The people who heard what Jesus was saying could only picture cannibalism which is a full-on no-no in Jesus' time, just as much as it is in our time. There was no other context for what he told them, not yet at least. So Jesus said something that wasn't clear. It was a mystery, or it was an affront to moral living. And Jesus didn't feel particularly compelled to offer clarification about what he meant at that time. That probably would have made people more comfortable 
if he would have said, you know, I know this sounds weird right now, but in a couple of years, around the time I'm going to die, I'm going to go into more detail about what this is, so it won't be quite so weird. It will be slightly less weird. But he didn't do that, though. He left the mystery and ambiguity hang. Why? Because faith isn't always about certainty. Faith is not having all the answers. It's about having a relationship with one that we can trust to guide us, even when the answers aren't all clear, when there's a lot of uncertainty and ambiguity. So often the answers aren't what transforms our lives as much as that journey transforms our lives. If Jesus gave a clear answer to the crowd, they might have nodded and said, Oh, yeah, well, strange way to put it, but that's fine. It's like metaphor. That makes sense. Thanks. So, no lunch then? Do you know who got to learn in very personal ways what Jesus meant when he talked about eating his flesh and drinking his blood? It was the one who stayed with Jesus to the end, up until he took the elements of the Passover meal and redefined them to become a sacrament, a life-transforming practice where we recognize to this day the unique and real presence of Christ with us in that gathered remembrance. Is all the mystery gone? Not at all. Some of the reasons we have different denominations is because Jesus remains somewhat ambiguous about our sacramental life. There's still plenty of mystery, even in those aspects of our faith that are incredibly central. The questions aren't all answered. But through some of the mysteries of faith, we build a relationship with the one that we can trust to guide us. Besides, we still pretend very clear teachings like love your neighbor as yourself are deep mysteries of faith. And there are folks who have appeared to draw a line at that difficult and cryptic teaching. Our third lesson this morning is this. Following Jesus is temporarily difficult and eternally good. Following Jesus is temporarily difficult and eternally good. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. I may repeat this quote a few times through the series, but only because it resonates with these stories. G.K. Chesterton once wrote, The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. Following was difficult for the ones who stayed with Jesus, too. The mysteries remained, not every question found an answer, and certainly by week three, you'll see that the act of following wasn't by any means easy, but they recognized something steadfast and sure, even in the midst of the questions that remained. The one that called Lord was one they could turn to for their needs, not only for today, but for eternity. We're invited into that choice also. Walking with Christ doesn't mean we'll get all the answers. An infinite God can only be partially understood in our finite abilities. Still, our faith continues to seek understanding. And over time, we find that Christ is reliable, faithful, life-giving, and good. We don't stop asking questions, and we may even discover some of the answers along the way. But Jesus teaches us here that he isn't a means to an end either to provide food or miracles or answers to our burning questions. The best possible outcome for our asking, our enduring, and our obeying is that we experience an ever-deepening friendship with God through Christ. So we nurture that friendship today through our love feast. This is not the same thing as communion. Communion has certain things that are required, and that includes the, the physical gathering of the community. That's part of the, the word, communion. 
And so we get to experience this love feast as a means for reminding our hearts of the nearness of Christ. And Jesus is pleased to be with us in this act as well. And we do long for and look forward to the time when we can gather together again and break bread and share in the cup. In the meantime, we get to give thanks for this wonderful reminder of Christ's work among us. And so I invite you to sing this thanksgiving, this blessing that's to a familiar tune. Be present at our table, Lord. Be here and everywhere adored. Your creatures bless and grant that we may feast in fellowship with Thee. Amen. Now we get to join together in our confession. Let's read along the confession on our screen. Almighty and all-loving God, through your Son, Jesus Christ, you have reconciled the world to yourself. Help us now to be reconciled with one another so we can once again dwell in the warmth of your love. Inspire us with your Holy Spirit to put aside the covering of pride and put on Christ so we would forgive and be forgiven. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. 1 John 1.9 reminds us that if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just forgives us of our sins and cleanses us of all unrighteousness. And so through Christ, we receive that forgiveness. Now at this time, we get to spend a moment to take whatever it is that you have to eat, whether it's a piece of bread or something similar, and whatever you have to drink, it could be grape juice, it could be coffee. And we're going to take an opportunity, wherever you're sheltered, to be able to take part in this. It's an opportunity to give thanks for something that God has done. And so you're invited, wherever you are, to just spend a moment as the music plays to offer a word of thanks for something that God has done in your life. And then you can eat what you have to eat and drink what you have to drink. And we can be grateful for that opportunity. I am thankful for the chance to be able to see hope, even in the midst of hardship and difficulty, and that God's people are making a stand for goodness and for right. Now, you have the opportunity to give thanks at home and share in this love feast.
Once again, we give thanks in our closing thanksgiving, sung to the tune of This Is My Father's World. Father of earth and heaven, your hungry children fed, your grace now to our spirits given is true immortal bread. Let us and all our race in Jesus Christ to prove the sweetness of your saving grace, your satisfying love.